So what's the, the Mounty Manifesto for coming up with some practical steps to make lasting and meaningful change take shape? Yeah, the trigger was realising that it's too easy to get too dark um, too fast with, with aspects of this work. And it was the work with, with older men that really triggered that. Um, the emotional cost of that work was probably the biggest I've paid um, to date, um, which has prompted some changes in, in how I do my own professional practice. But it also prompted me to, to reflect and to focus on, well, I know there's hope in this, in this world and in this line of work. Um, and I know there's light um, let's look at where that is. So we've talked a little bit about that already, but fundamentally, I think that that any movement for change starts with what we can do in our backyard and, and what individually we can do. So while part of me might have, you know, aspirations of of grand designs for policymakers at some point in the future, where I'm at at the moment is looking at individuals that stuff that we can all do. That that has us acting with hope um, and sheds a little bit of light onto aspects of this world. So my manifesto, as you call it, is very definitely in a work in progress. Um, but here's the first kind of fledgling version. You know, in the tradition of all good manifestos, I have some pointers, I have some bullet points, and I've got six. So item number one, what... My wish for you would be that you would be a consumer of news with your eyes and ears open because the world is messy. People are complex. Um, it's rarely a binary position. And the answer is never, the answer to any meaningful question is never anything you can condense into 180 characters. So beware the polarization. Beware the binary positions. Beware the glib responses from the keyboard warriors and be discerning about the news you consume. So we talked briefly before we sat down here about someone in the news this week, a polarising figure, and you straight away came back and said the example of the question, what happened to you, is very simple. When that person was eight years old. Yeah, we talked about... Uh, Prince Harry in the news at the moment. Um, my second bullet point would be that, you know, my second wish for you would be that you would act with compassion first and condemnation later. And in my view, we're, we're seeing Harry being condemned and there appears to be very little compassion for the trauma that he and his brother were required to experience um, in his early years because I watched... And I suspect you watched as he walked behind his mother's coffin for three miles through the streets of London, aged about eight, with the eyes of the world upon him. And if that's not traumatic and an adverse childhood experience, I really don't know what is. Which means that some bad stuff happened in his early years. And what we're seeing, I would argue, on that model is that's still shaping big parts of his life. And he deserves our compassion for that, I think, and not our condemnation. So he's changed his role in life. Um, employers 
can do something as well, I think. Yeah. They? That was one um, of your... Bullet point number three, yeah. um, if you're an employer, please employ somebody who's spent time inside. Because here's the thing that I believe about those kind of people. Most don't want to go back. Most really don't want to go back. And therefore, they will try harder and more diligently than those that have not had an experience of incarceration to make it work this time around, which means you will be getting, as a prospective and employee, more bang for your buck. And I've had direct experience of this. Um, there's folks that support me in my work who've spent time inside. And if I was an employer, which I'm not, I would employ them because they don't want to go back and that means that I'm getting more of them than I suspect I would have got pre-incarceration. So it's somewhat counterintuitive. You seem to be arguing that if you're looking for loyal, diligent, productive employees, you look for the ex-prison population. Yeah, I would. And I do, and I am. Item number four, homeless on the streets. We can all do this. The other thing that, that walking into the, in, in this world has prompted me to do um, is I now take, um, I make sure I've got some change on me and some pound coins on me when I go into a city. Because one of the things I've learned to do and I'm now brave enough to do and feel it's the right thing to do is rather than cross the street on the other side, every time I see a homeless person on the streets is, is I will do my best to engage and either buy a drink you know, buy a hot drink or give some money. And I will always do that if it's a female. So if it's a woman or a young girl, I'll always particularly make a point of if it's a if it's a woman. And I never used to do that. I used to cross the street and run away. Is that for their benefit or yours? Uh, it's both. I would I would argue. I like to think it's me being more engaged as a member of the human race. But I also understand that most people are there not because of active choice, but because of drugs, adverse childhood experiences, chance design people, and or an inability to manage emotions at crucial time due to peer pressure. So there's no cold, rational, logical choice. Um, and for the grace of God, it might be me. And that engagement you've just touched on, I think takes us on to the fifth item in your manifesto, Andy, which is rephrasing that question, not asking people what's wrong with you, what's why are you, you behaving like that, but asking them. Yeah, yeah. Again, we can all choose. We can all choose the language that we use. Uh, and again, on my list, my first list is that practice the skills of asking what's happened to you, as opposed to what's wrong with you. Again, that's a straight choice of language. We can all do that. Uh, which brings us on to the last one, which is that it's really quite a challenge sometimes doing this kind of stuff. And it feels easier if we feel we've got people around us, um, even if they're just cheering from the sidelines and going, keep going, son, you're doing all right. So uh, item number six is that if you're at all intrigued or curious about this world and why you should give a damn and how you can help bring hope and light to it then sign up to the newsletter listen to the podcast because that means 
um, you'll add to the community that, that I and people like us are trying to build because at some point we'll come asking. We'll ask for your involvement. We'll ask you to walk with us. But in the meantime, if I can help enlighten you about what goes on in this world, how bits of it could be different, and why you should care about that, then I'm really happy to do that. Andy, the good news is we've finally got that one minute with the minister who's paying attention. What is it you want to tell him? Item number one, consume news with your eyes open and your ears back. And remember that it's never a binary position. Um, It's never a polarised position. And the answer is never, ever anything you can condense into 180 characters because the world is messy and people are complex. Number two, if you're an employer, employ someone who's been inside. Lean into that rather than run away screaming because they will give you more generally. Number three, compassion before condemnation. Number four, it's always what's happened to you as opposed to what's wrong with you. Number five, Homeless on the streets, particularly if it's a female, lean in, buy them a drink, give them some money and a smile. And the last one is, this work's important and it's hard. It can be lonely at times and it's easier if there's other people around, um, even if they're just cheering from the sidelines. So listen to the podcast, sign up for the newsletter. That builds a community and together... We can change some stuff.